We have been in a series entitled All In. We conclude today, and it's, it's kind of uh, bittersweet to me to think about the fact that uh, uh, we've gone as far in this series as we're going to go because it's really a life-changing uh, series, a life-changing series of messages in, in, in relationship to the idea that all of us are lacking a little bit holding something back a little bit, not willing to sacrifice completely to Jesus. Being all in means something different for every person in this room. Haven't figured that out yet. For uh, Noah, it meant building a... For Abraham, it was a challenge to sacrifice his son. For Caleb, last week... It was uh, to go against the flow, to say in the midst of others, the majority claiming there was no chance for victory, that the giants in the land would overcome them. It was him reporting that God was bigger than any giant and living out that faith and that commitment to God even at a ripe old age. But it's something different for you, isn't it? Uh, All of you know what area of your life, what specific thing in your life that you haven't given completely to God. All of you know where you've drawn the line and said, I'll be this committed, but not this committed. And so as we reflect today on, on what God has done for us, Uh, the mercy, grace, and sacrifice that he willingly gave for us, I want you to think about, is this place of uh, less than 100% sacrifice really a comfortable place to live? Is is it really who you want to be in Christ? Is it a reasonable response to what he has done for you? Now, in order for you to, to respond with an all-in obedience. You've got to realize that this is not something that you do because you have to. Uh, There's a great big difference, and we've talked about this hundreds of times, there's a great big difference between religion and relationship, isn't there? Uh, Religion says, other than, than... our Christian faith, you have to do something in order to be in a relationship with God. You have to uh, uh, accomplish things, live a certain way, you, you have to carry out a certain ritual, and if you sacrifice and do the things that that particular religion uh, adheres to, then things will be good between you and God. In other words, you can earn His favor and you can earn your way to heaven. Anybody here believe that? Must be a lot of you do, but uh, just judging from that response, but I'm going to trust that you're just afraid to talk in church. Uh, Religion is spelled D-O, do. You do something, and then you get God in your life. Relationship is spelled D-O-N-E, done. 
And when I say that, what I mean is that everything that you need in order to be in a relationship with God, he's already done. He has opened the door to his love and to his grace. He sent his son to die for us. He has cleared the path for you to be all in if you choose to be. He's made it possible for everything in your relationship with him to be as it should be. He's initiated it. He loved you first. He created you. And he desires to save you. Everything that needs to happen, he's already done. Now this afternoon at 2 o'clock, I plan to be in Rupp Arena. That's my plan. Anything could happen. Somebody might invite me out for a free lunch at Jeff Ruby's, and I might go. But right now, I plan to be in Rupp Arena. And you know what else I plan on? I plan on the Kentucky Wildcats winning. But see... Here's why I plan on that. Because John Calipari has done everything that he needs to do in recruiting and coaching to make my experience a pleasant one this afternoon. (laughs) You get that? You see what I'm saying? I have complete confidence. Now, I know anything can happen, but I'm confident. How much more so has God done everything to make your life? wonderful, to make your life significant, to give you every opportunity uh, to live above the rest of the world, to live in a better place, a higher place, a holier place, to accomplish more, to live a significant life, to be all in. It's not something you have to conjure up or create. God's done it. Got that? Do like this if you can't say amen. Goodness gracious, this is a shy crowd today. And because of all that he's done to make that happen, to pave that path, going all in in return, it's simply a response to a God who's gone all in for us. You believe that? Do you believe God has held anything back from you? I don't think so. And the problem then lies in in, in the fact that I believe we're fickle about our relationship with Him. When I say fickle, I mean some days we're really excited, some days we're all in, other days we're a half in, some days we're a quarter in, some days we're just sticking our toe in. Anybody go Black Friday shopping? We live in a strange world where we, we, where we spend all day thanking God for what He's given us and then go out that night and shop like we have nothing. Amen, we're fickle people, aren't we? We're fickle people. Uh, I saw fickleness all I'd see folks pick up something and put it back, pick up something else, and no, look at that, hold it up, see how they looked in the mirror. I mean, I watched people do crazy things. I felt crazy for being there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not me. I go in, I see something, I'm sold on it, I buy it, I get out of there. If they don't like it, who cares? 
That's how I Christmas shop. They take back half of what I'm going to give them anyway. And, and that fickleness caused me to think about our fickleness in our relationship with God. You see what I'm saying? There are some days in your life where whatever God asks you, you're, you're ready. And there are other days when you won't listen at all. I mean, if, if we were to divide the church and, 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 and put those of you who are all in up here in this area right over here this morning, Look at the folks who are already here. They knew what I was going to say. And then maybe back a little further, those of you who are kind of three-quarters in, and over here maybe the half-timers, the 50% people, and back in there the 25% people, and the toe-dabblers up in the balcony. Where would you sit? Where would you sit if you were honest? The challenge is to completely submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Question, how many of you have ever talked to someone about your faith in a witnessing environment where you were saying, here's what God can do for you? Just show me your hand. And when you were having that conversation with that non-believer, at some point in that conversation, you spoke this sentence. Will you allow Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life? Now, Savior is an amazing deal. You know that, don't you? It's the best, I mean, better than any Black Friday door buster, nose knocker deal. I mean, it's a great deal to have a Savior. Because you accept Jesus as your Savior You get heaven, you get your sins forgiven, you get abundant life. I mean, it's a great deal, right? Lord's not such a good deal, right? Because when somebody's Lord of your life, what are they? Boss? Somebody over here said wife. I don't know who it was. The boss. What you're doing is surrendering control of your life to God. You see that? You surrender control. You become obedient to death. You start to use words and live out words like surrender and sacrifice. Not my will, but your will. And that's tough. It's easy to have a Savior. We're all in there. Not so easy to have a Lord. But that's what we're called to do. That's part of the bargain. That's who we are. We lessen so He is on the throne. And if you understand the concept of being all in, it's wrapped up and packaged in lordship. Jesus is Lord. I want to read a story about a lady who understood that I believe without any hesitation or reservation. Happened in Bethany. It's in Matthew chapter 6 or 26, verse 6. 
He's in the house, Jesus in Bethany at the house of Simon, and a woman came to him carrying an alabaster flask of costly fragrant oil. Now that's talking, he's talking about white shoulders here, or polo woman, uh, one of those kind of deals. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. And his disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste? For the fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And when Jesus became aware of what they were saying, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? She's done a good work for me. The poor are going to be with you always, but me you won't always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body. She did it for my burial. You see, Jesus knew what what lay ahead. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, what was happening here, this woman Mary by her activity, by her action, by her gift of the perfume, was demonstrating her desire to be all in. Don't underestimate what she did here. Probably this, 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 this fragrance, this full jar full of fragrance, was the most valuable possession in her life. Most extravagant possession in her life could have represented her life savings and so she brings what is most valuable to her not because Jesus needed a perfume bath now there's some people in this room who might not because Jesus needed a perfume bath but because she wanted to say Here's my reasonable response to what you've done for me. A few days later, Jesus would in reality die for her as he's done for us. And so I'm going to hold nothing back, Jesus. I'm going to give you the best that I have in whatever form it is. And here's what happens to you and I. When we begin to think about how we're going to respond to God, we start to almost negotiate in our mind with how little we can get by with. We start to think about ways to cheapen our response. We we try to figure out how we can go budget, economy, Black Friday on God. We can get the best deal. How ridiculous is it when someone loves you with the extravagance that God loves you with to pay him back with half-heartedness? What are you holding out on God today? Is it your money? We've talked about that lately. Are you willing to give your best, your tithe, you willing to pay or return to him 
what is his with enthusiasm, with richness? Is it your, your time? Do you say, God, you can have this much but not that much? Is it your obedience that, that God, you know, I know what I should be doing, but here's what I'm going to keep doing? Here's the choice that I'm going to make. Is it a, a habitual sin? Is it, a, is it an addiction? But there's something in your life in the, in the face of the grace and mercy, in the face of the extravagance of God that you're not willing to pour out because it would cost you too much. It would cost you too much. And you forget that what you have, you have by God's grace and that alone. I didn't get an amen on that, did I? When we offer God our time, our servanthood, our tithes and offerings, we're offering him our life. That's what Mary was offering Jesus, her life. She poured it out. We hoard. We cheapen. And don't offer God our life. Well, Judas was there. And when it said the disciples became indignant because of the cost, in other places in the gospel, it says that the one who felt that way the strongest, the one who brought it up, was Judas. How could someone give this much? To Jesus. We could have spent it in a far better way. You know what I think Judas said? We could have used it for the poor. I don't think he gave a hoot about the poor. Do you? I don't think that was where his heart was, but it sounded good. It sounded good. He proved his heart just a little while later, didn't he? Because the Bible talks about That Last Supper. Remember the picture of, of Da Vinci that, he, that, our, that Da Vinci drew of the Last Supper? And Judas is right there in the picture, isn't he? Right there. In the midst of his unworthiness, in the midst of, of him cheapening what Jesus had taught him and, and, and his discipleship, Jesus became worth 30 pieces of silver. That money became more important to Judas than the ministry and his relationship with Jesus. You see that? And in case you want to point a finger at Judas, which is easy to do, he's the guy nobody wants to be, right? I don't know anybody named Judas, do you? It's a guy nobody wants to be. If you're honest, how many times have you sold Jesus for less? How many times have you lessened your integrity for less? How many times have you broken his heart for less? 
How many times have you chose another path for less? You see, there's a big part of Judas in all of us, isn't there? There's something in us that causes us to exchange the eternal, the valuable, the priceless, the sacrifice for a temporary thrill. I've done it, and you've done it. In just a few moments, we're going to share, we're going to sit at the table as Judas and the other disciples sat there with Jesus And here's a word, I believe, uh, of absolute encouragement. Jesus was willing to invite Judas to sit at the table, even though he knew the blackness of his heart. And if you've ever felt unworthy to be here, remember that you don't have to be perfect to come. Remember that God has you here today, not only to sit at his table, but to do a work of redemption in your life. A work of redemption. He invited Judas to the table. And he invites you. You know... (laughs) Would you be in the category of kind of a tough person to love? <laughs> I mean, honestly. Do you know some people like that? Whoa, I know I need to love them, but man, that's a chore. <laughs> if you knew them, you, you would know that God didn't mean to love everybody. I'm sure he just wanted us to give it a shot. And you know what I think? I think because we have no clue about unconditional love, about loving without any restriction. And we don't get, we don't get the idea that we don't have to change to get God to love us. Now, surely we do need to go all in, but whether we ever go in or all in or not, it, it, it isn't going to keep God from loving us. We don't have to change to get him to love us. His love will change you. And so if you've been hesitant and, and stuttering and walking very slowly towards that place of complete surrender and sacrifice. The reality is is that the only way you will ever get there is not by a condemning sermon or not by uh, even scriptural encouragement. You will only get to a place of complete and absolute sacrifice and surrender of your life to God because you realize how much He loves you in the midst of your unworthiness. The next scene in Matthew chapter 26, after the betrayal of Judas, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he introduces us to to a term that we've seen elsewhere in Scripture, but nowhere in relationship to this. And I just want to read a couple of of passages from, from 
the prayers of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In verse 39, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, God, it's not your will or my will, but your will. It's what you want. But if it's possible, let this cup pass. Verse 42, it says again a second time, he went and he prayed, my father, if, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, let it be so. He's talking about the cup of wrath. Cup of wrath which is filled with the sin of mankind. You see this, this concept of a Savior coming to die wasn't a new thing. Jesus knew before he came what was going to have to happen. And yet, the human side of him hoped there was another way. Maybe because he didn't want to leave those he'd come to love. Maybe because he wanted to do even more for the world than he'd been able to do. Maybe he knew the pain and suffering of crucifixion. Father, if there's another way. But even as he prayed that prayer, they were coming to begin the process to arrest him and crucify him. And he began to taste and drink the cup of wrath. Book of Isaiah, where he, the prophet talked about what was going to happen, he said that Jesus drank the cup of wrath even unto the dregs that's d-r-e-g-s dregs what that term means is this when you have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a diet coke my drink of choice my poison of choice i guess sometimes after you've finished you look down there's a little left a little swirl or two down at the bottom. Sometimes there are grounds and teabag refuge. And you just go ahead and you swig that last thing down. You drink the dregs, the residue. The Bible is saying is very simply this. Jesus drank the cup of wrath completely. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about the cup of thanksgiving. He drank the cup of wrath completely so that you could share in his sacrifice and so his blood would fill your cup of thanksgiving. Jesus drank the bitter cup of wrath every drop. So we might have the cup of thanksgiving. The cup of thanksgiving. So we might sit at a table one day, just as his disciples did, and share in, in the merciful sacrifice that he made for us. He went all in 
so that we could go and you know what I see happen so many times even even here in worship we don't go all in do we some of you just come and go through the motions Bible says don't get drunk on wine but be filled with the spirit we don't use wine as communion we use grape juice so we don't have to lock the cabinet Bible says don't get drunk on wine but get drunk on Jesus get drunk on the spirit don't hold anything back when you worship worship him be intoxicated with him be in love with him don't come and just go through the motions don't come and act like a Baptist worship him think of what he's done for you Worship Him without inhibition. Is it possible that in any area of your life, in every area of your life, you've never really worshipped Him? You've never been that in love with Him that He transcends everything. You've never been drunk on the Spirit. see what happens here is just a microcosm of what happens out in the world I'm here but I'm not here I'm here but my mind's elsewhere I'm here but I'm not really going to get into this I'm here but I'm not going to let it change my life I'm here but I'm not all in just a microcosm and I wonder as you reflect upon what Jesus has done for you, on the cup that he drank for you, the death. The sacrifice. Are you grateful enough? Are you grateful enough to be all in? My friends, if if he would go if he was willing to go to Calvary for you, is there a place that we should be hesitant to go for him? If he would die for us, how can we hold anything back? How can we hold anything back?
question today as we move to this moment of invitation and commitment how can you hold anything back he died for your sin how can you hold on to that how can you give him less than all of you how can you cheat him that's ultimate love my friends that's how valuable you are to Him. Altar's open. We're going to share in communion together in just a moment. But will you come to this place and pray? Maybe trust Him for the first time. Maybe determine that you can't live the way you want to live without completely surrendering to Him. Quit holding back. Father, we come before You now. Your Spirit, Your presence, so evident in this place. Our hearts are in tune with Your heart. You have our attention. So speak clearly, draw us to you, convict us, 
forgive us. Keep loving us. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? As we sing.